Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so we are um, together as a church family doing a Bible study together. Essentially, we're reading a book of the Bible together. This will be the second week. Many of you were here last week. Some of you weren't. I know some of you, this is the first time here. I've met several of you. So we'll try to connect the dots for what we talked about last week. But does anyone remember what book of the Bible we opened up last week? Oh, good class. So who wrote First John? Oh, it's up there. You cheated. Okay. So, so does anyone know who wrote the book that we're reading? This is an open book test. You're doing great class. I just threw something on the ground. I hope I don't need that. I think I'll be good. Oh, thank you. This is Ramon. Thank you, Ramon. So John wrote a a letter. If you have a Bible and have it open and look at 1 John, you'll see it's near the end of the Bible, right before the Revelation, and you'll notice it's really short. We call it a book, but it's just a little letter. So now, who was John? One of the disciples. Good question for you. How many disciples did Jesus have? So that's the wrong answer. And I set you up because that would be the common answer. It's not 12. He had hundreds of disciples, followers. And, and sometimes I think we forget that. We, we think, oh, there were 12 people. There were hundreds of people that followed Jesus, consider themselves his disciples. Um, do, you, do you remember... In some of our reading together the last couple weeks, we identified 84 that were mentioned. Remember that? Do you remember that after Jesus died and was resurrected, and the disciples were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, there was a group of them waiting in a room. How many were there? 120. 120 were in the upper room. You can read that in Acts, what is that, Acts chapter 1 and 2. 120 were there when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's just a representative. Those were probably the hardcore disciples, right? So there's lots of disciples, but there were 12 in particular that he called together. They called them apostles. There were a group of three that were really close to Jesus. I I say this because I want you to to really grasp the picture of what happened in the first century. So, So who were those three people? Well done, class. So Peter, James, and John... They were, you might call them the inner circle, and we know that because we have the stories of times when Jesus grabbed just those three, and they went off and did something. Like, I think when he prayed for that girl that was dead, did he just take Peter, James, and John with him? Remember that? And she was raised, and then just the, three of, the four of them in the room with the dead body, and then God raised her up. Or do you remember when they went on the mountain, and he was transfigured, he was changed, and there was a bright light like shining out of him. It was an incredible experience. God spoke. They call that the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. So there was an inner circle, but there was one who was probably the closest friend of Jesus. Do you know who that was? John. He was called John the Beloved. At the Last Supper, he's the one that's sitting right next to Jesus. And, and you know, they don't sit at a table. They recline around a table you know, like on an elbow, legs behind you, cushions. So that's, that's the style in the Middle East, at least at that time. John is so close to Jesus, he's leaning against him as they're eating their last supper meal. So they are intimate. And John's the one who's called himself, I love this, in his book, he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. 
Isn't that funny? He wanted everyone to know, I'm, I'm the one. So we're reading a letter that that guy wrote. So that's good to, to help the perspective as you're reading these guys' words, right? They're not just kind of words out there. This is real stuff. This is a guy who saw Jesus, touched him, heard him. Talk about eyewitness. I mean, they were close. So he's explaining something about the life that he experienced, which we just sang about. We sang a song that had the words, you are the life. Remember that? And that's John's words. He is the life, and I want to share him with you. Okay, so how old was John when he wrote this letter? Right. So this is written at the end of his life. He's probably like 90 years old, somewhere around this. So it's written around 90 A.D. All of the other apostles have been martyred by now. So he's the last man standing. And he's writing his wisdom from that perspective. And that really helps as we read his words and see how they might apply to our life. So what was his demeanor while he, when he's writing? What, what's he like? Is he like old and crippled and angry and you know, a grumpy old man? <laughs> he is loving life. He's passionate. And you've picked that up when you read his words. He, is, he sounds like he's as excited now as he was when he first met Jesus, even though he's really old. And what I, as I was preparing to um, read this book with you, this letter with you, I thought, what's, what's, what's a concept, a theme that we want to grab a hold of? And I landed on this theme, thriving for a lifetime. Because here's a man who at the end of his life is still thriving in life, and he's done it for a whole lifetime, and I want to live like that. Do you want to survive or thrive? right? You don't want to just barely make it. You want to be full of joy, full of life. So that's the kind of stuff we're reading together. And um, we just read what in the, by the way, this is written in Greek in the first century. That would have been the language of the day. It's been translated for us into English. If you've ever heard the Bible's been translated so many times, you know, from one language to the next, to the next, to the next, by the time we get it, we don't know what it really said. Those are people who are telling you a lie. It was translated from Greek to English. One jump. And we have, we have manuscripts, thousands of copies and copies and copies of manuscripts so that we can be more confident that what we have in our hands is the actual words that John, the beloved apostle, wrote. We have more confidence in this text than any other document of literature in the entire world, in case you didn't know that. So when people tell you we have no idea what it really said, they're just mistaken, and they're repeating someone else's lie. All the scholars will tell you, and they, you can go to the museums and see. We have, we have fragments that are within 30 years of the original. It's, it's phenomenal. Other literature, you look at fragments that are thousand years from the original. We have 30 years. Anyway, that's another aside. So that's what we're reading together. And what I want to do today as we read um, about the first page or so of this letter, and there's only a two, three pages, is I wanted to notice that John is going to highlight three themes and in my estimation, they are like three strands of a rope that are braided together. You know, you can take three strands, and if you braid them together, you can get a pretty solid rope. 
You, you understand how that works. You can picture that. I, I looked for a picture to show you and didn't have one. But you get the concept. Picture that. And we covered one of the strands last week, but I'm going to say briefly again what we talked about last week and then bring two more together as we read. So that's the plan. You guys ready to dig in and read and see what we can grow in for learn how to thrive for life? You are? Okay. I'm going to pray, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for John, your beloved disciple. Thank you for miraculously bringing to us a couple thousand years later the writings of a man who walked with Jesus, an eyewitness. It's really phenomenal. It's unheard of in history, and you did it, and you preserved it for us so we could grow in you. Today, as we read your word, I pray that you help us to grow more like you, that we would learn principles from the example of John's life and from the instruction of his words to grow in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> i got to confess to you why I'm laughing. So there are stage lights pointing at me, and I was praying, and I looked toward them, and now all I see are these spots of blindness. And I went to look down and read, and I'm seeing spots. But they're coming back. <laughs> so keeping it real. Here's how John opens up. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. You know, we've seen Jesus. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And we've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, life that was without beginning and will be without end, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen, what we've heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship indeed is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. We write this all to you so that our joy and your joy and our joy together can be complete. Now, last week, we looked at that sentence, which is just one sentence in the original language, and we highlighted a few words. The first word was joy. Joy, we said, means an over arching or a um, pervasive sense of well-being that can exist in the face of any circumstance. A pervasive sense of well-being, and when it's complete joy, that means it's so full you couldn't get any more. That was the first word we looked at. We looked at the second word that comes out in English as fellowship, and we said that word is insufficient to describe what John actually wrote in Greek. The word that he wrote in Greek is koinonia, and that's the first of the three strands, koinonia, for living a thriving life. Koinonia, we said, that's Greek, um, it, properly translated, as someone said, tongue-in-cheek, is gunanija, because it's about a relationship where we need each other. Koinonia is intimate communion, intimate fellowship with God and with each other. It's where we share our life, even share our possessions. We're united in purpose. We work together and share working together. We cry together and share our losses together. We rejoice together. We live life in intimate communion. It's called koinonia. And the first thread of living a thriving life is having, walking into, entering into a thriving, intimate relationship with God and with you, so that together we experience the life of God. I'll probably say more about that in just a minute. But the, 
third word. So there was joy, koinonia. And the third word was we had to emphasize this language John uses called word. Word translates the Greek word logos. And for the Greek philosophers, logos has the sense of the reason behind everything, the purpose, the meaning, uh, the root powerful substance behind all that is in our reality. For the Hebrews, the Jewish people, word speaks of God's authority and his self-disclosure of his person. It just speaks of his authority to accomplish things. So God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And, and John combines those two thoughts to say, this powerful, personal force of creativity, of God disclosing his nature, of the purpose and reason behind everything that is, this kind of ethereal concept that's hard to put into words, that became a person and walked among us so we could know life by touching, listening to, experiencing relationship with Jesus. That's where life comes from relationship with Jesus. We entered into that life, and now we're sharing it with you so that you can enter into it with us. And that's part of how John has thrived into his 90s. He's continually proclaiming his experience with God to others so they can enter his experience with God, and together they have relationship with God and each other. If you want to thrive in life, make koinonia a priority not independence, which is very American, but not life-giving. Yeah, I'll, I'll remind us of this, too. Here's what I said last week about koinonia and why this is so important. We live in a world system where success is measured in terms of how much you can accomplish and how much stuff you can have. As a result, people in this world system, right now we're seeing it in Russia and Ukraine, people in this world system, which is ruled by Satan, will use and hurt people and relationships in order to get stuff and accomplish things. In God's world, where there's koinonia, we use stuff and we use accomplishing things in order to love and build relationship. Because in God's world, success is measured by loving well. Loving well. And look how it works. God loves me. I'm awakened to his love, so I love him back. And the first thing I hear is, if you love me, you must love your neighbor as yourself. So I love God. I'm receiving his love. And now, as an overflow, I look to you and my love extends to you. But you also are experiencing God, loving God and receiving his love. And he tells you that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And you look at me and you love me as you love God. And now we are loving each other as we're loving God. And when that is happening, you are thriving in life. And you have reason for joy no matter your circumstances. You see all that? Isn't that amazing? Koinonia is the first thread of thriving in life. Now he goes on and says this. Here's the second strand. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim that we're having koinonia with him and yet walk in the darkness, we're lying. We're not living in truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. 
And, key phrase, the blood of his son Jesus purifies us from all sin. Goes on. If we claim that we're without sin, well, we deceive ourselves. Truth is not in us. We're living in denial. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will, conf- he will forgive us all of our sins and not only will he forgive us, somehow miraculously, his sacrifice on the cross purifies us from all unrighteousness. If we claim, well, I've never sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. And he continues, my dear children, I write this to you so you won't sin, but if you do sin, which turns out, almost like wink, wink, and I know you will, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the world. That was a lot of words I read, and that's the longest section I'll read. But here's the second strand. First strand is koinonia. The second strand of this three-braided rope of walking in a thriving life is live in the light. Live in the light. If I live in darkness, I'm not in fellowship with God. This gets complicated because we can quickly think, okay, I better never do anything wrong. And it doesn't say that. In fact, it says quite the opposite. Here's a a revelation that changed my life and changed everyone's life who's come to know Jesus. It's It's a bad news, good news proposition. And there's two parts to it. Have you ever had that in your life, bad news, good news? This revelation is what I need and what you need and what everyone in the world needs if they want to have fellowship with God, koinonia, fellowship with each other, and walk in the light. That's this. I have sin, and I have sinned, and my sin has broken fellowship with God. And as hard as I try to make it right, I can't fix it. As much religious stuff as I want to do, I could pray, I could I could give, I could do pilgrimages, I could do every religious thing possible, and it will not take care of the broken relationship between me and God that was caused by my sin. That revelation, bad news, is life-changing. Many of you will remember the day you realized, oh man, I am guilty, I stand accountable to a God who will judge me, and I can't fix it. It's a terrifying thought if there weren't the good news that follows. The good news that follows immediately on its heels, part of this revelation that's life-changing, changed my life, changed many of your lives, is that God loves me so much that he didn't stand aloof when I sinned and broke fellowship with him. He said, I'm going to come in. I'm going to get in the dirt with you. I'm going to solve this problem with you. And Jesus, the Son of God from eternity past, became human, walked among us and said, I'm going to lay down my life for you in the ultimate act of love and sacrifice. And when I go to that cross and my lifeblood is spilt, what will happen is I will take your place. If you'll put your faith in me, everything will change. Not only will all your sins be forgiven, you will be made pure because, miracle, this revelation is so life-changing. When I put my faith in Jesus, Somehow, some way, God took my sin, lifted it right out of me, 
pushed it right into Jesus, and he took it away from me. And I stand then free, able to enter into koinonia and walk in the light. Well, does it mean walking in the light that we never fall then? See, walking implies a continual path in a certain direction. If I'm walking in the light, I still might occasionally step in the mud. Has anyone ever done that? So I have a weird picture in my mind. See if this works for you. If I'm walking in the mud, staying in the mud, I'm muddy and I'm not walking in the light. But if perchance there were a waterfall, pure water, and I was able to walk in that waterfall, and I occasionally stepped in muddy waters, that waterfall constantly pouring over me would wash away the mud, and I'd still be walking in the light. Does that picture work for you? Because that's how I picture my life. I am walking in the light that God brought me into. I'm having fellowship with God. Occasionally, something in me is broken enough that I still choose wrong. When I choose wrong and then do it, that's called sin. And sin always breaks fellowship. If we walk in the darkness, we break fellowship. These strands are related. And if we break the strand of living in the light, we damage the strand of koinonia. Do you see how that works? So, John says these amazing words. This is the message we declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness. He's all good. He has no bad. He's all pure. He's nothing impure. He's all perfect. Nothing imperfect. He is purity and light. And we can walk in that light with him. But if we stumble, if we confess our sins... Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, and I'm still walking in the light. I got dirty, and I got clean. Those two revelations, one, my sin is real, and it separated me from God. God loved me and did something about it so I can enter into relationship with him. That's one revelation. Second revelation, if even after I've entered into relationship with him, I mess up, his blood his lifeblood is still powerful to clean me again, and I can continue walking in the light. And the good news is that as I walk in the light, I step in the darkness much less, much less, much less. Walking in the light, enjoying fellowship with you, enjoying fellowship with God. Those are two strands of the three-braided three strands. How do I say that? The three-braided strands of thriving in life. That's what I wanted to say, yeah. How are you doing? You, do you see all that in there already? Because I see that in there. I love how John laid this out. Oh, I should mention this. We read these words. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atonement is a word that you never would use um, in normal life. It's a religious word. It's a Christian word. It's a spiritual word. And it's a word that's, in English, created to try to describe something. As I understand it, it didn't exist until they translated the Bible. It was not a word. And it's a fun word because if you see it, atonement, it literally means at one mint. Atonement is at one mint. My sin has broken oneness 
Jesus' righteous sacrifice, somehow beyond my complete ability to understand, restores oneness. It is at one mint. This is powerful. This is revolutionary. Find for me a religion that has at one mint at the hand of God in it. There is none. Only Jesus. There is no other way to be made right and to enter into fellowship, koinonia, with God. There is no other way. There just is no other plan. Here's what the disciples said, when they, Peter, James, and John again, when they were taken before some Jewish religious leaders who were very upset that they were preaching about Jesus' resurrection. They said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's um, Acts 4.12. It's in the Bible. It's the truth. It's what Peter, James, and John said. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, there is no other way. If you find one, come and talk to me as fast as you can, because I want to know it. I've been searching for another way my whole life. I've never found one. I always ask, is there another way? I've never found one. The only way I know is God himself comes and restores life. So, koinonia, walking in light, now John goes on. We know that we have come to obey him. Here's the, the description that he's leaning into of the third strand. If we obey his commands. Now that sounds complicated because there's hundreds, right? Well, it turns out Jesus said, I've got one command for you. And John's referring to that one. The man who says, and here he's going to lean into it, but we'll get more deep deep understanding of this one sentence soon, but John's hinting at it. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he does, what he commands is a liar, the truth isn't in him. But if anyone obeys his word, this one command, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Anyone who claims to live in Jesus must walk as he did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. So I'm not telling you anything new. The old command is a message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. John, which is it? Is it old? Is it new? <laughs> its truth is seen in him, Jesus, and you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. A couple more sentences. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There's nothing in him that will make him stumble. Whoever hates his brothers lives in darkness, walks in darkness. He does not where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. The third strand, first one is koinonia, this intimate fellowship with God and each other that we must prioritize in our life constantly, day by day, thriving in life. The second strand is walking in the light, living in the light. The third strand is following the way of love. Why is it an old command but not an old command and a new command? Well, it's an old command because from time immemorial, the law of God is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's always been there. But until Jesus... We never saw in three-dimensional or four-dimensional living color what love looks like. 
And Jesus came, so this makes it a new command, because we've seen Jesus. We've seen it lived out in him, so now we know what to do. The new command comes from Jesus. We see it in his love. And listen to now Jesus' words. I'm reading to you from, again, John, but John's gospel. John in the 15th chapter. Jesus said this to his disciples, the 12. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this. Listen to this echo. John's just repeating Jesus. I've told you this so my joy will be complete and in you, and your joy will be complete. My command is this. Here, here's the words now. My command, my one command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There it is. If I want to live a thriving life for a lifetime, I think, I think that I can incorporate by the grace of God these three strands in my life. I prioritize, I make essential, I'm not okay if it's not there, koinonia, intimate, intimate sharing of life with you and with God and together with God. Did you experience something unique just a moment ago when we were singing together with God? That was a touch of koinonia. You could experience the presence of God himself as we together love him, and we weren't even really interacting with each other. We were just standing shoulder to shoulder, singing, all the earth will shout your name, all the earth will praise your name. Remember that? All the earth will shout your name. And it got bigger and bigger, and there was just an excitement as we were thinking of God and the whole earth knowing him and praising him and rejoicing in him in a day when he returns and there is no more war, and he makes all things right. And we tasted that now. Make koinonia number one priority. Number two, don't live in the darkness, but walk and live in the light, knowing that if you make a mistake, if you sin, quickly, quickly turn to Jesus, confess your sins, and be washed from them, and be restored into fellowship. And in the process, do everything you need to do to make amends for the damage you've caused to your brother because that's called repentance. Number two, walk in the light. And number three, follow the way of love, which says, I choose your good, even if it costs me. Jesus laid down his life. I laid down my rights. I laid down my preferences. I lay down my money because I love you and I will spend my life for your good. If I live that way and you live that way, boy, am I going to have a sense that is pervasive of well-being. I'm going to have joy because I know I've got your back and you've got my back and God's got our back and together we've got each other's backs and we're living life together and we're enjoying the eternal life, the word of life, the one who was without beginning and without end. He's entered into our life and we're now touching and tasting and experiencing his life 
And in fact, like John, we now are inviting people to share the life that we have because we've experienced Jesus and we tell others, you ought to experience the Jesus that we've experienced and now we're in life together and we're in love together and we're walking in light. We're following the way of love and we're thriving in life. What do you think of that? Well, who's that for? We'll read just a little bit more and wrap this up because it's fun to read through this text. Would you just imagine... A giant family gathering. There are grandparents. There's great-grandparents. There's aunts and uncles, or aunts and uncles, depending on how you say it. And there's cousins. A large family. Many generations. They're all together playing in the yard, in the kitchen, in the living room, watching the football game. And the old patriarch of the family gathers everyone together in the family room. This is John, the old patriarch of the family. Everyone's together together. And he says what I just told you about koinonia, about fellowship, about walking in the light, about love. And he says, I really want you to get this, so listen to these words. I write to you, dear children, you that are brand new in the faith. You're just babies. I'm telling you what I just said because this is for you. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. The message I just gave is for you children. Then he looks over to the grandparents and the fathers and he says, well, I'm writing to you too. This is how you live. Because you've known him as from the beginning. Keep living this way. And then he turns to the young men, the 18-year-olds and the 24-year-olds and the young women. They're strong. They're vivacious. They have their life in front of them. They're starting to accomplish things. They're living life. They're enjoying life. They're serving God. They're full of energy. Sometimes they're full of more than energy, <laughs> and they have some opinions about their parents. But still, you know how that works. He says, I'm writing to you, young men. This is how you thrive right now. Make sure that you keep fellowship priority. Make sure that you walk in the light, and if you fall into the darkness, you get back out right away, confess your sins, and get right with God, and keep walking in the light, and make sure that you follow the way of love. Lay down your life for those around you, for the old ones, for the young ones, and for each other. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, this message is for you, because you've known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from, you've known Jesus, you've known the Father. I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you. You've overcome the evil one. For all of you, for all people, John the patriarch is saying, for every part of the body of Christ, no matter where you are in the process, young, old, middle, these are essential for you. Follow the way of love. Walk in the light. Prioritize intimate communion and fellowship with each other and with the Father, and you'll do all right. In fact, you'll thrive. That's all I want to tell you. But I want to challenge you. Don't just hear what I just said in repeating John's word. Enter into it. And I want to also challenge you. Really not challenge you. I want to invite you. you I'm thinking of you online. Got you in my mind. And you in the building. If you have never entered into the light by receiving Jesus' atonement, atonement, 
today's your day. See, Jesus did all this, but it has no application until you receive it. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say, I think that's probably true. Everything changes when you go, I want it in my life. I receive what you've done for me, Jesus. Now make me one with you. Bring me into fellowship and bring me into the light. Let me experience your love. If you watching, if you in the building haven't done that yet today, would you do that right now? Jesus is inviting you to come into life with me. And it's as simple as talking to him and saying, yes. Let me help you do that if you'd like to. For me, by the way, I redo this all the time because I'm always needing to enter into continued relationship with God. Say something like this to him, Jesus, thank you for becoming the sacrifice for me. Thank you for paying for my sin with your own lifeblood. I receive your gift. Take away my sins that separated me from you. Take them out of me and put them on yourself where they're taken away forever. I trust you with my life. And if you'd like, say amen, but you don't have to say amen. That's talking to God, and that kind of trust, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm certain of it, as certain as I'm standing here, I am positive that when we look in faith to Jesus, he literally takes the sin and the darkness away. It's amazing. and makes it possible for us to begin and enter into and continue a life of intimate, loving fellowship with each other in Him that is the essence of complete, overwhelming joy. No matter the circumstances, you could see this if you turned on your your YouTube or your uh, feed or your television and you saw in the subways in Ukraine people who were gathered together singing songs of worship to their God while their city's being bombed. They had joy in spite of the circumstances. They don't know what tomorrow holds, but they know what the ultimate tomorrow holds, and they know that they love God, and he loves them, and they love each other, and they are loved by each other, and they are thriving in life in the midst of tragedy. That's the way I want to live, that no matter what happens, I'm experiencing the life of eternity now. Isn't that amazing? It's it's powerful, it's unbelievable, and it's true. God is light in him, there's no darkness, and I can enter into that light. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.